This is Zealous, an in-depth look behind the scenes of legal matters straight from the attorneys of Gimbel, Riley, Garen, and Brown. Welcome to Zealous. I'm your host, Brianna Meyer, and this is the place to immerse yourself in the legal world. Today, I'm talking with Richard Riley about realistic expectations when it comes to initiating a divorce. Richard is one of the four named original attorneys in the firm. Before GRGB, he served five years as a trial lawyer in the United States Department of Justice and at the United States Attorney's Office. Richard joined the firm in 1971 after trying hundreds of cases, an experience that is unique in a family law attorney. Richard never fails to make my day, and I look forward to our morning mini-debriefs about current events. He's someone that I know will always be a straight shooter and makes me laugh on a daily basis. He has decades of experience with divorces and knows what people can expect when starting the process. In the United States, the current divorce rate sits at about 40 to 50%. Over the years, we've seen divorce glamorized in television, film, and celebrity culture. With this glamorization comes a lot of misinformation. Sometimes people expect their divorce to play out exactly as divorce is portrayed in the media. But as Richard knows, that's just not the case. Obviously, you've been around for quite a while and you've seen a lot of things come through family courts. I think one of the biggest misconceptions people have when they go into a divorce is they're expecting it to be like what they see in the movies. Is that right? Well, they, there are a lot of movies out and they've all watched them and they all have friends and associates and they bring that to the table. Mm-hmm. And that creates expectations. Right. It does create expectations. And obviously what plays out in real life is quite different than what happens in the movies. The War of the Roses sometimes happens, but probably not very often. So when people come in and see you, what are the first steps that happen when you think about filing a divorce for someone? First thing I do is I listen. Don't take notes. Sit, listen, tell me your story. And they all want to tell their story. Mm -hmm. 90% of which has nothing to do with their divorce as it would be affect the family, the children, or whatever, but they have a story they want to tell. you got to let them vent their story, and then you get down to the more specifics. When people come in, I think one of the things that they don't understand is that they might not be able to have the same attorney as their soon-to-be ex-spouse. Right. Can you walk through that process a little bit? Well, we're prohibited from representing both sides in a divorce. Uh, many people come in and they say, well, we have, we being husband and wife, we talked it all through and we got it all worked out, which means they're about 27 miles apart. But they want to say, can you represent both of us? And the answer is absolutely positively no. You have to represent one side. I can do the work for one side, present it to the other side, and they can approve it or go talk to a lawyer or counselor or whatever they want to talk to, but you can't represent both sides. So no matter how amicable the split is, you are one person's attorney? Yes, unless you just agree to be a Scribner, and I have a case coming in uh, at noon where 
the parties have worked it out and they want someone to be the scrivener of the documents without taking a position. That happens occasionally, not very often in our practice. What does a divorce petition actually look like? I think a lot of people see in the media that, you know, you, you file something and it blasts the other side completely right off the right off of the gates. <clears throat> what what does it actually look like? Divorce petition says absolutely nothing other than your name, your address, your age, that you are married to this person, if you've been married before, and is the marriage irretrievably broken, and you're asking the court to set certain orders regarding your financial and custodial affairs with children if they're involved going forward. It's very bland. So especially because we're in Wisconsin, which obviously has different rules than California, where Hollywood is, it's not like what you see all over the media. No, it's a very, very flat, bland document that's filed with the court. None of the particulars are involved. He did this, she did that. None of that is in there. And we have no fault divorce, so you can't bring all that up. But you're just really telling the court, I want a divorce, and we're married, here's where we were married, here's how many kids we got, here's where we live, and the marriage is irretrievably broken at at this time. Period. That's it. When clients come in to meet with you, what sort of information should they expect to have ready to go when they first come in? What are you looking for from them? I tell them to bring nothing to the first meeting, other than to, to get acquainted, talk, and kind of get some of the background information and then the kind of the rule I have is that we're going to send you home with some homework and we're going to give you some homework to do to bring back or send back email back or whatever Mm -hmm. and fill in some of the particulars about um, how many bank accounts do you have how many pieces of real estate do you own businesses do you have how many kids do you have where are they in school who are they living with a little background you mentioned earlier that uh, people can hear or people do hear from acquaintances and from friends and families what happened in their divorce. But I think it's an important thing for people to understand that outcomes are different in every single divorce. You're likely not going to walk away with every single thing you want just because one of your friends did. Uh, absolutely not. I call that tavern talk. People bring in Tavern Talk. Well, I have a friend that's only paying $300 a month support and he makes $300,000 a year or vice versa. Mm-hmm. People bring in all sorts of different scenarios that they've heard through friends, through meetings, through Tavern Talk. And none of those are really relevant to their, to an individual situation. Everybody's different. And not only are they not relevant, but a lot of times they're not totally true. Um, People enhance. Enhance. I got this, I got this, Mm -hmm. I got, I won. There really is not a great number of instances where you can walk away and say, I won. Nobody really wins. There's a fair division of the marital estate and an equitable allocation regarding the, the needs of the children. That's the first issue you have to address, though, is, is the kids. Where are they going to live? 
temporarily because that's you're not going to make final decisions right away. Where are they going to live? Who are they going to live with? When is the other parent going to, how are they going to share the children? In what way? Are there injunctions outstanding? There's all sorts of issues, but the kids are, are the first primary focal point. Right, and it's not only important for clients to set their expectations, but they also need to work to set their family's expectations of what will happen. How do you think people can best prepare their kids for the process of divorce? Well, there was an interesting article in the New York Times about that a couple of weeks ago on the Sunday Times. And uh, do you sit your kids down together? Um, do you tell them individually that mom and dad are starting a divorce? Kids pretty much, uh, unless they're really young, they can sense it. They know something's going on. But they're... Uh, there's no real best way to do it. You can talk to psychologists all over on that. The best way to do it is probably to present it to the children together. But a lot of people don't have that degree of communication. So then one says this, one says that, and it creates. But a good way to do it is to consult with a counselor. See how we should do it in our case. Because our case is different from your case, from... Jones's case from the Smith's case. Right, and are there any <clears throat> good steps beyond getting them involved with a counselor that can prepare your kids for the process of what's going to happen? How would mommy and daddy explain to little Bobby how what's going to play out in the upcoming months? question is how, <clears throat> how old is little Bobby and how mature is little Bobby and how prepared as little Bobby been by dad being gone for six months prior to the commencement of the divorce or is, and his mom gone three nights a week uh, without explanation. I mean, there's so many different variables. One of the things that has become popular, I know, is where kids stay in one place and parents are the ones that come and go. And you've been practicing for, what, 150 years? Is that 300. Right? Okay, 300 years. Have you seen a difference with that new trend in play? That's a very expensive trend. It only works on a temporary basis. It's very, very expensive to keep maintain two homes. Mm -hmm. And the kids stay in one house. Dad and Mom work out of another place. To be honest, uh, it doesn't work. Or it may work for a short period of time, but in the long run, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And it creates a lot more difficulties. Now, after the divorce is over, people have inordinate amounts of money. They're going to live near each other. Um, you can have, each can have their own homes, and the kids can go to separate homes, but to have the nest like they call it nesting mm -hmm. it just doesn't work it's a cute cute concept doesn't work it's cute yeah. <laughs> beyond just your kids relationships across the family are going to change obviously within your own nuclear family your sister is going to have opinions your parents are going to have opinions but also your in-laws at the time are going to have opinions too. What can people expect 
their dynamic with their in-laws to look like during a divorce. It's easy to say when you get started to say, oh, I get along with her father so well, and her mom loves me, she loves to cook food for me and everything. It ain't going to last very long. <laughs> I mean, blood is thicker than water. So ultimately, there's going to be a, a dynamic there that's going to develop where you're going to be on the outside looking in no matter whether you're the man or the woman, mm-hmm. with, the, with the other family because they're going to gravitate toward the family. Right. And that's the lasting relationship. So you can't count on that ever continuing for any period of time. What rights, if any, do in-laws and therefore grandparents have when it comes to the divorce process or with custody? They have the right to stay away and stay out of it, keep their nose out of it. <clears throat> other than a lot of grandparents end up funding the divorce, but other than that, they got to stay out of it and they can't have expectations where they're going to have time with the kids because their time is the time that their sibling would have. Mm-hmm. In other words, mom's got three days a week. Well, grandma and grandpa are going to use that three days a week, but they're not going to have extra time unless it's consensual. So and a lot of grandparents today do babysitting, so that continues, and so they're going to have contact through that. That's true. We've touched on expectations clients should have for themselves, for their families. What about social expectations? A lot of times people are running in very similar circles as their soon-to-be ex. What sort of dynamics have you seen play out? Oh, <laughs> that can be ugly. And, it, and people say, well, I can be friends with both. Doesn't work. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> people are going to gravitate toward one or the other, and it's going to drive a, a rift between the people involved so people are going to say, I'm more friends with dad than I was. I, we were friends with mom and dad, but now we're, we kind of migrate over to our dad. We see him once a week or every two weeks for a fish fry, something like that. It's just reality. Relationships are going to be severed. And with that, people need to be ready that <clears throat> any sort of stories that might come from the divorce, whether they're true or untrue, people in their circles will hear and will have opinions on. Absolutely positively. Everybody's got an opinion. And they're going to tell you what to do. And you're going to take that to your lawyer, and you're going to take that to the other side. Well, I heard, or I, so-and-so said, I should be doing this, I should be doing going here, mm-hmm. I shouldn't be going there. It's rampant and it creates aggravation for the lawyer. Woe is the lawyer. Maybe one thing that the media does get right is the fact that friends feel like they have to choose a side. And they do. I mean it just happens that way. It's reality. You know, it's just uh, they say well we, we'll be friends forever with, every, with both of you. That doesn't happen after a period of time. They kind of gravitate to one side or the other. And then that creates social misunderstandings, so to speak. What about engagement and volunteer opportunities that 
couples used to do together? Do you see one person backing away a little more? What if they both sit on a board of a foundation? Well, how about if they both belong to the same country club? Yeah. Who gets to play golf at the country club? They shouldn't continue that. One or the other is going to get the country club mm-hmm. membership. One or the other is going to be involved in the uh, ballet or mm-hmm. going to be involved in some sort of <clears throat> social activity or volunteer activity. They ain't going to do it together. How about sort of circling back to family? What about involvement in the kids' schools? Do you see a decrease in participation in schools because they don't want to be around their future ex? Shouldn't be. And schools are accommodating, and they understand school systems today, and teachers understand the the dynamics of a divorce. So they're going to, if if there's estrangement between the parents, which hopefully there won't be, but there is, that's Mm -hmm. reality. Mm -hmm. They schedule separate times, they talk to them separately, they send them separate emails, they, they play into that to make it as peaceful as possible. But I tell people to be as active as you can in your kids' activities. Go to the parent-teacher conferences. You may, you may be, have to go together, but it's worth the effort because the kids are the ones that get the benefit from it. You mentioned that teachers and schools are really used to this dynamic. Do you think it's because we're constantly bombarded with divorce, it's really all around us in in the media, in different sorts of entertainment, and also in real life. Well, the schools and school systems and educational systems have learned to adapt, and they've grown a great deal in understanding. It used to be, when I started practicing, it was mom went to all the meetings, dad went to work, and he had his bowling night, and he did what he's, the, the old way. He didn't go to the teacher conferences. He wasn't involved in the school. He didn't know what the, he knew the name of the school. And if the kids were doing okay, that was fine. But if they weren't, they got a spanking when they came home and with a bad report card. Today, parents are equally involved and the schools have accommodated that, I think, very, very well. So it sounds like the moral of the story is with expectations. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And unless you're in the thick of it, you really don't know what to expect. Correct. Well, everybody has friends today who are divorced. I mean, that, mm-hmm. and that is a, a evolving phenomenon. I mean, the old days, if you got divorced, you were you didn't know many divorced people, and you know you couldn't go to church because the church wouldn't let you in the church because you were divorced. Today, it's a different story, and people get information and they get the internet and they got social media and everything else, they're filled with information, most of which is not useful. And this is sort of off <clears throat> topic, but you mentioned that a long time ago, if you got divorced, you were sort of outcasts of society. Yes. Do you, in your opinion, are people not taking marriages seriously nowadays because divorce is so normalized? No, I don't think that is, you, I don't think you can make that a conclusion. People enter into a marriage, I think, this is it. This is the most wonderful person mm-hmm. in the whole world. He, she, the, the best. And uh, expectations fail because mm-hmm. it's reality. And a lot of people's marriages fail, but today people are accepting of divorced people. 
people who have, you know, different relationships. They're accepting because society today is accepted. If you're divorced five times, maybe people would think twice about it. But in terms of accepting people, well, she's divorced. But you're not going to take a second look at a person mm -hmm. because they're divorced. And when I started practicing, that was kind of a, you, you, you kind of wore the, the cloak of Right, the red of, letter. Yeah, exactly. Let me phrase my question this way. Do you think individuals are more willing to give up on their marriage because divorce is more accepted? Oh, no question about it. The answer to that is absolutely yes. Yeah. And is are some marriages are shouldn't continue. People are they're just bad relationships. Mm -hmm. Whether it be drinking, drugs, alcohol, anything know, toxic. Anything toxic creates an environment, and if it can't be, if it's been attempted to be dealt with, you know, on numerous occasions, it, it, then it's set to fail. Yeah. You got you got to make you got to take that step because you're not helping your kids and you're not helping your own mental health. I would But I, don't, you know, people, a lot of people bail. It's easy because you hear the word, I'm going to get a divorce. I'm, that's, I'm going down tomorrow to see the lawyer and get a divorce. Okay. It's too easy today. Maybe it was too hard in the old days. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I'd like to end this on a little bit of a happier note. I want to know what sort of expectations can people have after the process is all done, everything's signed, there's no more fighting. What sort of relief on their mental health have you seen? Uh, some, it's a great relief. They move on. <clears throat> Others never turn the page. Mm -hmm. They will live, whether they have a new relationship, whatever they do, they don't turn the page because the bitterness and the anger still persist and it doesn't go away. And you say, well, it'll go away in a year. Wrong, it'll go away in three years. Some people never give that up. And that's sad. But you can tell when you talk to people whether they've moved on. Because they, if, if they haven't, they're gonna keep bringing up, well, you know. In my some, last marriage. Yes, this is what happened. And then they carry that anger and that bitterness which affects your new relationships with people and individuals. Do you hear that a lot from clients <clears throat> where they compare this divorce to their last marriage or their last divorce? They, <clears throat> they compare the relationships and they bring up all the bad things and they never give up on it. Oh. She, she or he took all my money that's, but the biggest evolution that I've seen is the fact that today you have women who are earning substantial amounts of money mm -hmm. in the workplace. And the hardest thing is to tell a woman that she has to pay maintenance or spousal support to her husband. That is a very difficult conversation. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. I bet. I mean, it was always a problem with men. You got to pay. Right. You got you got to pay spousal supporters to your mm -hmm. wife. Okay, you can get through that. But today we flipped it around, where you have many many successful women in the in the workplace, 
who've done very, very well and are earning more than their husbands. Yeah. And you're going to have to pay maintenance to... I don't want to use the term deadbeat, but... Painful. Just, yeah. Very painful. It's time for the definition of the day. One thing that I don't think people quite understand when they get involved is how many different types of hearings come up in the divorce process. Walk us through what a temporary hearing is. Well, if you start a divorce, you need some sort of ground rules to uh, put a Band-Aid on your financial and custodial situation with your kids. You need a short term where who's going to live in the house, who's going to pay the mortgage, who's going to keep up the health insurance, are we going to keep the life insurance, are we going to make the contributions to the 401k. So that's what a temporary hearing is. Many times those are resolved before the hearing, but you need to have some sort of roadmap rather than make it a free-for-all. Because even though I start a divorce, it's still a free-for-all. I mean, there are no rules other than the fact somebody started a divorce. So you got to have a temporary hearing or at least work out the terms of a temporary hearing. And I have one this afternoon, and it's going to be, when does dad see the child? Mm -hmm. How often? How much child support does he pay? And what are we going to do about the cell phones? What are we going to do about the health insurance? What are we going to do about the cars? Who's going to pay the debts? Those are the temporary issues. So obviously the two parties getting divorced are there. Is there a representative for the kids present at that hearing or not yet? No, no. If there's a need that shows up at the first hearing, in other words, we can't. You go to the family court commissioner who handles the first hearings. If you can't uh, agree on is mom's day going to be Wednesday or Thursday, kids are in danger, dad shouldn't have the kids, or mom shouldn't have the kids because of alcohol or because of having a third party around all the time, then you need a guardian ad litem, but that wouldn't be at the first hearing. The court would consider a request to have a guardian ad litem. Now, you're adding to the costs when you start mm -hmm. getting guardian ad litems involved and you get to, you're, move, you're going down a, a different path in terms of the simple divorce is just ended. But you need to have some temporary terms. Uh, and then you start the process of gathering information, which comes after the temporary hearing. But you got to start out by having put that little Band-Aid on that, so everybody knows what the rules are. So is it fair to say that before a temporary hearing, the one rule of divorce is there are no rules <laughs> until that hearing takes place? Yeah, the terms are free-for-all, mm -hmm. and it is. Financially, it's a free-for-all. There are no restrictions. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody make a, probably made a grab at a bank account to grab some money so they're not destitute when the divorce starts. So we got $25,000 in the bank at the time of the divorce. Whoever starts the divorce usually goes down and cleans out at least half of the account so they have some walking around money because there are no rules. Mm -hmm. Something 
Richard, I know that you take a lot of pride in outside of your practice of law are your grandkids. Yes. I can't tell you how many times that you come in and, and share what's going on in their lives. And obviously we all enjoy hearing about it. Why don't you fill the listeners in on, on what's going on with your grandkids? Well, I have three sons, but I have and seven grandchildren, but four are here in Milwaukee and three are in Chicago. And I'm pretty involved in all their lives and I know what's going on and I t- take a lot of pride in their activities. And it's because we have one girl and, and others are boys, um, a lot of uh, physical athletic activities. Mm-hmm. So I make a point of going to as many as I can and keep up to date. We go to games together, do things, and uh, that's my recreation. Yeah. And it gets you away from this crazy business. <laughs> a li- only a little crazy. Yes. I... One of my favorite things is when you come in and talk about all the basketball games you go to. Is it fair to say that your grandkids are um, very involved in basketball? It sounds like it. Yeah, they are. But, I mean, lacrosse, basketball, Mm -hmm. uh, used to be uh, football to some extent. But, I mean, they're involved in a lot of activities. But, uh, like, grandkids in Chicago are very involved in lacrosse. Uh, which most people don't know anything about. Yeah. And uh, my grandchildren here were involved in volleyball. Awesome. Big sport. Big sport. Big sport. Yes. Which I never knew anything about volleyball until I started going to my grandkids' volleyball games. And now you know all the rules. Yeah, I know all the rules. Not are, some of them. Are you yeah, a... lacrosse, I didn't know. My son actually started playing lacrosse at Marquette years ago and... And we had lacrosse at Holy Cross where I went to college. But, so I knew something about lacrosse, but it, it's become a very big game now, especially in the Chicago suburbs. And you brought up that you went to Holy Cross. I would be remiss to mention that you were classmates with Dr. Fauci. Yes, we were classmates. In a, yes, college classmates. I knew him not very, not real well, but we were a small class. We graduated 422 or three or whatever, and we lived on the same in the same dorm for a couple of years. So yeah, I know, I know the good doctor, smart guy, a lot smarter than the rest of us. He's in pre med, great mm-hmm. guy, but a very very ethical, bright, uh, serious pers- student, serious person. Yes, Richard Riley, the man with all the connections. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Richard, for sitting down and talking us through you know, all the misinformation that's out there and what people can expect when they're initiating a divorce. You can uh, pick up all the information you want. You go to Left's Lucky Town or Wauwatosa tonight for a fish fry and you'll pick up all the divorce talk you want to you absorb from whomever. Right. Everybody's got a lot of free advice. Here's what you should do. Mm-hmm. You should start a divorce tomorrow. He's a bad guy or she's a bad person. She's this, that. Everybody's got different, everybody's got opinions and they're not afraid to voice those opinions. Right. But luckily, you don't deal with opinions, you deal with facts. I hope. (laughs) I hope. Thanks, Richard. Thanks. Enjoyed it. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Zealous. 
This series is brought to you by Gimbel, Riley, Garen, and Brown, located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. If you think you need a lawyer, contact us at grgblaw.com. Tune in for our next episode where we talk dealing with local governments with attorneys Josh Gimbel and Christopher Hayden. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode of Zealous.